if you can mark uh, two places, we're going to kind of spend a little time in two different spots. Uh, one's in the old and one's in the new. Uh, I want to hang out in Ecclesiastes for a moment, and then I'd like to also be in Philippians chapter 3. So Ecclesiastes 1 and Philippians 3. Let's begin with prayer. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for time together uh, to open your word. And we pray that we would open our hearts to you now, that we would be encouraged by you, to hear from you, to continue to speak encouragement to our lives, bring conviction, and open us to you now. God, that we would hear from you a life that you are calling us to. God, we at times need encouraged, at times need challenged, at times need uh, simply to be healed and encouraged and blessed. And so God, I thank you for meeting us here and caring for our needs, knowing exactly what we need today through your spirit. So open us now to your word, to your truth, Help us to know of your love and your grace today. We love you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. The message of Ecclesiastes uh, is not one that's one of those warm and fuzzy feelings. It opens right up out of the gate, reminding us and teaching us something. It says right there, this is the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher, Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. All right, let's pray, and you guys can be out of here, right? The, uh, it comes out kind of a, with a heavy-handed uh, sort of pop you right in the mouth and teach us and remind us and really draw us out of uh, this sense or this lull that we find ourselves in where we sort of surround ourselves with life. Uh, school started, we had our first full week of school this week, and let me tell you, Thursday, there was blood, sweat, and tears involved with getting our children and, and Wendy out the door to school. Uh, she was subbing that day, too. She is looking at me, and she's agreeing. Everyone thinks I'm picking on her, but it, it was hard. It was like, okay, we got two more days. We can get through this. Uh, we can find ourselves in the sort of rhythm of life where we surround ourselves with the busyness of our routines perhaps our wealth or lack thereof we can get all caught up in the routine of life and we need this sort of jarring reminder that there is something more to our lives in this series i've asked us to really think about what is the priority of our life that it's not multiple priorities but it's this one singular priority this one most meaningful thing to our lives and i have invited you and encouraged you or perhaps reminded you of what we have held to be true that the one thing that grabs a hold of our life is jesus christ he is the one that we seek we seek him first we seek him above all else and the bible sort of reiterates this message over and over and over again that jesus is to be the center of our lives and the focus of our lives and if we were to sit down with one another, I think that we would all share a like-mindedness that says, yes, I want Christ to be the center of my life. 
but then we would also follow up the, that statement with a, a big sort of question mark of, I'm not so sure how well I am doing at making Jesus the center of my life. I have a lot of competing things going on that I wrestle with. And so we would, if we were honest with ourselves, I think we would all agree that Jesus is number one and he's the priority. But I would think that we all have this sort of uh, difficulty navigating that in our everyday life. And what I want to do for you this morning is really just kind of draw out the conclusion of Ecclesiastes, this sort of wrestling match that's going on in Ecclesiastes. And I just want to spend a moment there looking at what he reveals and understands about the world. And I want to draw you to Philippians 3. Ecclesiastes, it is said of that it's Solomon, the king of Jerusalem. And for sake of argument, that's fine. I, there's really smart people that make arguments one way or the other, and frankly, I don't really care. There's a guy who has had quite a bit of wealth and quite a bit of pursuit in his life, and he looks at his life, and so let's say it's Solomon, who has all the wisdom of the world, all the women that he could ever want, and all the wealth that you could ever imagine, and it's these words that ring out of Ecclesiastes, and he says, I have had all of the wealth, I've had all of the wisdom, I've had all of the pleasure, I have pursued it all, and I'm here to tell you a message. And the message is this, it's meaningless. All of it is utterly meaningless. And that should be a message to us today, that when we get our priorities out of whack, when we start adding all of these other things and all of the pursuits of our life and all the things that we've added to it, where we think maybe one more, one more experience, one more achievement, one more success, one more... Um, one more sort of pursuit of pleasure, one more thing added to our life, then maybe I will ha be happy. Then maybe my life will have meaning. Then maybe my life will be significant. Ecclesiastes comes at us with this message and says, no, you can have all of the world, and I'm here to tell you that it's meaningless, that there's only one thing that matters, and the conclusion of the matter is to love God and his laws that what matters is a relationship with God, that that's the thing that matters the most is that. And so I want to use Ecclesiastes as a sort of backdrop. Here's a person who has pursued it all and has found only, only God to be what's significant. And I want, I want you to see Paul, maybe in this way, in Philippians 3. And so we're going to spend a little time in the text this morning, and I hope that it's an encouragement to you. If we look uh, first before we go to chapter 3, if you look at chapter 2, verse 21, I think Paul is addressing this issue. Here's the issue. 2.21 in Philippians, For everyone looks out for their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. If you want to get down to the problem in basically every single church that's ever existed, it's verse 221. Everyone looks out for their own interests, not for those of Jesus Christ. If you want to look at the petty things that have divided churches throughout history, it's because they put their own interest ahead of Jesus's. And so I think Paul is addressing this problem. And so he starts with, in chapter 2, he tells us the humility thing. Look to the interests of others rather than to yourself. 
Look to Jesus Christ. He's the example. He's the champion of humility in this world, and we need to follow his example. And he says, this is the issue. The issue is, we're looking out for ourselves. We aren't fixing our thoughts on Jesus Christ. And so, you know, like every good preacher, hey, y'all, why don't you start thinking about Jesus? All right, and then we can go, right? You guys got this all handled? Everything's meaningless. Think about Jesus. That's the message today. It's pretty cut and dry. But let's dig into it deeper so I, you know, challenge you, encourage you, uplift you. That's what I was reminding myself what I was supposed to do today. For everyone looks out to their own interests, not to those of Jesus Christ. So he's sending Timothy, and he's like, I hope he encourages you, kicks you in the butt, and gets you moving. Chapter 3. That's Jordan's translation, by the way. In chapter 3. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. That's a subtle insult. He's like, here I am writing to you again, but I don't mind it. He says verse, in verse 2, Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Those are all very nice compliments. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by the Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though my, I myself have reasons for such confidence. This is confusing and an odd thing to hop in on. We're in the middle of a conversation. But what Paul is doing is he's saying, there are people that are trying to get you back to old ways. There are people who are looking out to their own self-interest. I think that they are resting on their own sort of self-righteousness. And they're looking at their accomplishments. They're looking at their relationship with God. And they're saying, this is how it's supposed to be done. And this is how you ought to be doing it. And so Paul's just saying, let's dial it back for a second. And let's, let's not be looking to our own interests. Let's look to Jesus Christ. And he says then, he says, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, so, and that's in the sort of uh, following of the law and following the circumcision, following all of those rules of the Old Testament, he says, I have more. They might think that they got it going for him, but I have more. And so Paul starts to, in a way, boast about his accomplishments. In verse 5 he says, I have more, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee as, a, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. So Paul looks at his life and he says, okay, you can look at me. I've been zealous in my faith. If you look at me, I have been a Pharisee. I'm the sort of, I've been recruited to the A team. I'm the guy, the a religious leader. I have followed the rules. You can look at my life. And you can say, I have followed it as best as I possibly can. I'm on the A team. I was recruited to the major leagues. I've got the million-dollar contract. I am that guy. I've lived my life as good as I can. You know, there's something that I've uh, noticed. Uh, and I, this is a soapbox. I'm going to hop right on it right now. You know, preachers like a good soapbox. And here it is. I confess. Uh, kids, they drive me crazy when they're supposed to be cheering for their team, and instead, do you know what they do? They insult the other team. Have you noticed that, Lily? Not you. She's a cheerleader, and she cheers for Triton. T-R-I-T-O-N. Triton, 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 right? The, uh, it's a little cuter when you do it, but, uh, <laughs> right? 
But the kids, what they do is they tear down the opponent. And here's why it bothers me. One, they're people. Two, when you tear down the, the opponent and say they stink and they're lousy and, and you know, they're ugly, like, what are you doing when you defeat them? Oh, well, good. You defeated someone who was not very good. So in the tearing down of others, in the tearing down of the other team, you're diminishing the victory that you have. And this is just the exact opposite, I think, what Paul is doing in this text. He's looking at his life, and he's dealing with this sort of contentious group of people that are saying, we want to go back perhaps to the old ways of the law. Perhaps he's contending with Judaizers, and people are wanting to bring uh, the Jewish laws back into, into their life. But he's saying to them, he's saying to them, look at me, and look at my life. I have done all of those things. I have lived that very best life as best as I could. As far as relationships with God are concerned, I feel like I was the most zealous one loving God with all my heart all the days of my life. I was so sold out for God that I was convinced that what I needed to do was go and persecute Christians. There was no one more righteous than me. There was no one more pharisaical than me. There was no one more sold out for God than me. And so I think he's lifting up and he's saying, I have pursued all of that and this is what I want you to know. This is what I want you to know about how good that life was for me and how sold out I was and how close I was to God and this is what I want you to hear. In verse 7, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is found through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. He's saying, I want to tell you all about my past, and I did the very best I could, and there was so much life in that, and I was so zealous in that, and I want to tell you how good I was in all of that to tell you now that I had everything. I had and. If we think about Solomon, he could say, I had all of the wealth, I had all of the wisdom, I had all that I could ever imagine, and I want you to know now that all of it is utterly meaningless. Paul says that that is garbage in comparison to a life knowing Jesus Christ. And what I want for all of us, and what I need for my own heart today, is to remind myself that the things of this world truly are meaningless in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ is the rescuer of souls. That Jesus Christ is salvation. That Jesus Christ is our hope. That Jesus Christ is Lord and King. And I want us to know and be reminded because we've fallen asleep and we've looked to our own interests, not to that of Jesus Christ. And we say our life is filled with meaning and purpose and we're busy and we fill our lives with so much stuff and so much time and so much scheduling and so much 
that we have not remembered this truth. So as your friend, as your pastor, as one who cares deeply for you, I want to tell you again that when we have Jesus, we have everything. Ecclesiastes says, I had everything and I found it to be nothing. And Paul says, I found everything when I found Jesus. I have everything. When Jesus got a hold of me, I realized that I don't ever want to let go of him. And when we talk about our faith, when we talk about discipleship, when we talk about what it means to follow Jesus every day of our lives, we are talking about this, that everything else is meaningless. And the one thing that has meaning in this world, the one thing that matters is Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, who has rescued, you, rescued us from our sins and brought us into a life with God. He is the priority. And I know that we could keep going on in this series week in and week out and I could keep reminding you that Jesus is the priority because all of those things they just sort of keep caving in and keep sort of clouding our mind and our thought and it's that wrestling match that happens in Philippians 2 21 that says each of us are looking to our own interests and not of that of Jesus Christ and I'm here to say friends God is looking to be the center of our lives, Jesus Christ, his interests. That should be the concerns and the priority of our life. The kingdom of God is at hand for us. We are welcomed into it. We celebrate and we honor and we give our allegiance to King Jesus and we glorify him. It's a real wrestling match for us. And I think that we know this to be true and we run into the daily sort of struggle of how do we navigate this and I think that Paul actually gives us the encouragement that we need in verse 25 but I think it necessary oops sorry wrong I looked at the wrong spot verse 15 verse 12 I'm sorry good grief that's what happens when you preach from the Bible yeah. Not that I have already attained all of this or already arrived at my goal. Paul is telling us in this very moment, he's one of us. I haven't gotten there. He said, I lived, my, <laughs> I lived the most incredible life loving God with all my heart the way I thought I needed to. And I'm telling you, my life got flipped upside down and I believe that Jesus Christ is the vision of my life, the hope of my life, the salvation of my life, and I am pursuing him in every way I can. He is the priority of my life, and he says to us in verse 12, I haven't obtained all of this yet. We can feel like we aren't quite there yet as Christians, and that is okay. But here's his vision. I haven't gotten there yet, or, or, nor have I arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, 
forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which Christ, uh, for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I do not consider myself a runner, and you should not take any advice from me on running whatsoever except for this advice right here. You should watch where you're going. Just an idea. But it makes sense, doesn't it? That to run the race well, I should maybe not run into something. And he says, I press on towards the goal in which Christ is calling me heavenward. Paul says in 2.21, we look to our own interests, and I just have a simple question for us. How much of looking to our own interests is earth-related? Looking to posture ourselves and get what we want, have what we need, and all of these things that we sort of strategize about and work for and all of the hustle and all of this stuff. Paul says, you're looking to our own interests, and he says, I want you to look heavenward. I want you to look towards Christ. I want you to join me and and hear this. Hold on to Christ as he has already reached out and is holding on to you. Sort of like, sometimes I feel like Jesus got a hold of me, you know, we're running the race, and he's dragging me along, right? Then there's other times where I'm right there with him, going with him. And I just see this picture. It's a powerful image of our faith. And we've heard it over and over again. It's tried and true, but it's helpful to us to know that we are running a race with Christ and we are pursuing him and we're fixing our eyes heavenward. If you would pop back to Ecclesiastes, towards the end of chapter 1, in verse 12, he says, I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that's done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I've increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to understanding of wisdom and, all, and also madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. Ecclesiastes it looks at their, he looks at their, his life and he says, I have pursued everything under the sun. I have looked for everything under the heavens and I have found it to be meaningless and filled with trouble. And I think Paul is saying to us today, I have looked at and I have done and I've done all of the rat race, I've done all of the hustle, I've done all of the things to accomplish all that was possible on this earth. And I'm telling you now, what matters is Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to fix my eyes on heaven. And that doesn't mean that I'm not going to care about the things of this world. In fact, it's going to mean that I care about the things of this world in a brand new way. That what matters is my children knowing Jesus 
Christ. That what matters is my neighbor knowing Jesus Christ. That what matters is my family and my friends. And what matters is people seeking first God and his kingdom and his righteousness. That we can spend our lives chasing after things that at the end of the day, they're meaningless. But there is one place and one person in which we we derive our meaning and our life and our hope and it's Jesus Christ and you're saying to me Jordan I know this to be true how do we do it in verse 17 of Philippians join together in following my example brothers and sisters and just as you have us as a model keep your eyes on those who live as we do For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on what? Earthly things. But your citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so so that they will be like his glorious body. He tells us right there, friends, exactly what we need. We need friends who love Jesus. We need a church family who says we're going to make Jesus the priority. And we're going to follow each other's example as we love God and we keep pursuing him. And so fill people in your life who are models of faithfulness and grace and love who walk with God and seek him with their whole heart. Do you have that person in your life? Do you have someone in your life that helps you love Jesus more? You adults, are you choosing good friends for yourself? I mean that as patronizing as possible. No. Choose good friends. We tell it to our kids and we need to tell it to ourselves. The people who love Jesus and seek his heart every day. I need them. I know that you need them. battery died it doesn't matter choose good friends keep on living as Paul does and he says look at the world and you see all of the trouble that's brought on them and they keep trying to live and fill their stomachs and fill their life with all of these things be wise about the world know that you can't take it with you so be really really generous Be really forthright and kind and gracious. Be loving to others. And then he reminds us of where our citizenship is. And he reminds us of how the book ends. For Christ will come and he will rescue you. And so it gives us hope in the midst of our despair to know that Christ is greater than our suffering. He's greater than death. And he's greater than our sin. He's reaching out to you today.
have good friends, fix our eyes on heaven, and Christ will set us free. Let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for caring for us and our deep needs. And God, we have looked at the world and all that we've achieved, and may we arrive at the same conclusion that so many have gone before us have arrived at. That our meaning will not be found in the amount of wealth that we have, the amount of wisdom we gain, the amount of popularity we achieve or the achievements of our life. But what truly matters is to seek your face and to be in your presence, to have a life with you. So God, whatever needs to be torn away from us, Lord, we are afraid of that hurt. But we know that we need you. God, whatever needs to be chopped down in our ego, we know that the pride will fall and the humble will be lifted up. And so God, search our hearts. Know our anxious ways. Know how we've been in pursuit of worldly and earthly achievement and remind us of what really matters. That all of it is rubbish. All of it. But what really matters is you. God, we love you. Help us to have friends who encourage us in this path. Who see the error in our character and flaws in our in our life who would gently guide us in a closer walk with you for those Lord who are lost in a world filled with earthly ideas and earthly things and earthly interests and all of the pursuit of all of the wealth and all that they can have God we pray that there would be conviction and repentance for us and others and today God we fix our eyes on you the author and perfecter of our faith and we run our race Lord, throwing off the sin that has so easily entangled us. We hold on to you as you hold on to us, giving us a righteousness that we can't achieve, but a righteousness that you've achieved through the cross. We cling to you. Heal us, help us, lead us, Lord. Jesus, be the Lord of our hearts and our lives. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.